The reading this morning is from Luke chapter 13, verses 10 to 21. Jesus heals a crippled woman. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over, was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it to water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things being done by him. The parable of the mustard seed. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It's like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. The parable of the yeast. And again he said, to what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that the woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Amen. God of love, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these words of Jesus echoing down through 2,000 years of history to us today. I pray you'd send your Holy Spirit on us as we open our ears, our eyes, our minds and our hearts to you today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, first, I just wanted to say thank you very, very much for inviting me along. Um, this church has been a really, really important place for me. Um, 223 is run by a whole gang of us, so I don't speak for 223, but I can speak for myself and say, um, I'm so grateful for the fact that you have hosted 223 and various pride services over the years, and I've been to two weddings here. This has been a place where I have seen God move in extraordinary ways. Um, every time we have a 223 meeting here, we see people refinding their faith. We see people reconnecting with the God who loves them. It's been a place of joy and hope and life for me. And I know, because you're a Baptist church, that that wouldn't have been able to happen if a lot of you had not really taken a step in faith. So thank you very, very much. Anyway, let's move on. The good news for you this morning is it's a buy one get one free week because there are two parables in this morning's reading two weenie little parages, uh, parables just two verses each I don't know if I've got my first visual it's all a bit Chris Whitty isn't it anyway there are two parables one of them has a gardening theme oh Shall I just hold it? Would that be better? And then if I move around, it will still work. Right, good. So two parables this morning. One of them has a gardening theme, the mustard seed. A little seed grows into a big tree. And one has a baking theme, the yeast, a little bit of yeast that makes a whole batch of bread. Yeah, can we go? 
up a few slides to the beginning. You're getting a little sneak preview here. Again. Oh. oh well, anyway, there's a picture of a yeast, some yeast and a picture of some mustard seeds. You'll have to imagine those. So gardening and baking today. And I don't know about you, but when I think about gardening and baking, um, it tends to give me flashbacks, not entirely pleasant ones, to that very first lockdown we had, um, where I um, lead a church in St Albans. There were very many church coffee time chats on Zoom after our online morning service, where we didn't have much to talk about apart from gardening and baking. There were lots of conversations about the great flower shortage of April 2020, um, all these rumours being swapped about whether they've got self-raising at Tesco's at the moment or not. And I remember people trying to grow their own sourdough starter because we didn't have um, any yeast. And I grew my own in an old coffee jar, which I named Carter. And I'm afraid to say Carter never thrived. Um, and after many weeks at the back of the fridge, was eventually relocated into the compost bin. That's an actual picture of Carter. <laughs> May Carter rest in peace. But um, the other early revelation of lockdown was just how much the people of my church, St. Peter's, and no doubt other churches up and down the country, can talk about gardening. As the summer progressed, there were weekly updates about Jean's pyracanthus, iPads would be taken out into the garden so we could all check on the progress of Colin's butternut squash. They were strange days, boring days, you might say, but there was something quite reassuring and wholesome about all the gardening and baking chat. And these parables have been seen as quite wholesome and straightforward too. The kingdom of God starts off small and unimpressive, but grows up into something big and impressive. A tiny bit of yeast creates this whole batch of bread a tiny mustard seed grows up into a whole tree. However, for a first century Jewish audience, these stories would have been a lot more controversial than that. And as we explore them together, I want to suggest Jesus is trying to tell us something much more subversive and awe-inspiring and interesting about the kingdom of God than simply little things get bigger. And I think there are some really exciting and challenging ideas here about how we should be church in 21st century England. So let's start off with yeast. There's a picture of yeast there on the right hand side. Yeast is almost always a negative thing in the Bible. There are 22 references to yeast in the Old Testament, 17 in the New. All of them, apart from this parable, see yeast negatively something that contaminates and spoils, generally symbolising either sin or bad teaching. Luke 12 verse 1, the yeast of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Matthew 16, the yeast of the Sadducees is false doctrine. And in Galatians, yeast is likened to a small amount of false teaching that contaminates the entire church. Yeast was so dodgy in first century Israel that celebrating the Passover meant purifying your house of all yeast. The amount of flour in this parable is the same as the prescribed grain offering to be made in the temple, which was never allowed to contain yeast. So yeast is a really, really odd thing for Jesus to suddenly start comparing the kingdom of God to. Mustard seed is even 
odder. The idea of a tree as a symbol of the kingdom of God would not have been new to Jesus's listeners. And if we click on a slide, I think there's a picture of a tree. There we go, a picture of a cedar of Lebanon growing um, in the mountains of Israel. The listeners would have been really familiar with prophecies in Ezekiel, which talk about the Jewish nation as being like a great cedar of Lebanon. And this is one of those quotes. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it in order that it may produce boughs and bear fruit and become a noble cedar. Under it, every kind of bird will live. In the shade of its branches will nest winged creatures of every kind. And if we click on, and again, if we put it side by side with the words from Jesus's parable, we can see that Jesus is using some really similar language. But the main difference is, in Jesus's version, Instead of the cedar of Lebanon, this great triumphant tree, you get a mustard tree. Now, being good Baptists, you might well know your Bible better than we Anglicans do, and you might already have known this. I did not, I'm afraid. I, was, I think I was duped by lots of dodgy Sunday school, um, but I always thought that uh, a mustard seed tree must be a big, sort of amazing, glorious tree. And I, I think the reason for that was if you click on, I found, there, this is still going on today, there's some Sunday school craft that shows tiny seed, big glorious tree with birds growing in its branches. But here's the thing, although there is a tree called the mustard tree, scholars tell us that the plant Jesus is referring to is not a mustard tree, it's black mustard, which doesn't grow into a tree, but rather grows into this. Next slide, there we go. Mustard is an invasive shrub in the Middle East. It's an annual which grows up, bolts, and fades away. It's a weed, basically, and it takes over if you're not careful. It's how we might think uh, of as a thicket of nettles, really. That's what first century Jews would have understood about mustard. And if you Google it, I've got some headlines that come up. There we go, wild mustard seeds, how to control it, how to kill it, how to control it with grazing. And in fact, the Talmud forbade Jews from growing it in their garden because it's such a dodgy plant that will take over. It's a bad thing. So again, two things that Jews would have thought of as being super dodgy and Jesus is going, the kingdom of God is like this. We might not hear that ourselves, but that's what would have been going on for them. So what is going on? Luke gives us a clue, because in Luke, parables are placed as Jesus's response to the healing of a woman in the temple. He deliberately puts these two parables after that bit in the Bible about Jesus healing the woman in the temple. Let's have a look at it now. I think I've got an image of her. There we go. A woman bound, subjugated, bent over for 18 years, finds healing through Jesus. She would have been somebody pitied at best because in those days, a disability like hers would have been understood spiritually, a result of her sin or the sin of her parents. Jesus is not just physically healing her. He's lifting a lifetime of shame from her too. And in the midst of the people in the temple, she stands up straight. 
she finds her voice and she praises God out loud for everybody to hear. Amen. Hallelujah. You know how once in a blue moon you hear something in a sermon or a lecture which sticks with you? Very rarely, I appreciate. But one of my lecturers in college said this. Move on, there's a quote. When Jesus encounters a disadvantaged person in the Gospels, they always leave walking taller. When Jesus encounters a disadvantaged person in the Gospels, they always leave walking taller. The rich young man, the Pharisees, not so much. But the Syrophoenician woman, the woman by the well, the tax collectors, the lepers, and this woman, they all leave walking taller. That's who Jesus is. That's what the kingdom of God is about. However, the religious teachers in the temple are not happy about this. Luke describes them as indignant. And here's what they said. There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. After 18 years of suffering, a woman stands up straight and praises God and that is their response. Missing the joy of the moment, bogged down in the rules. The Holy Spirit does not work on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus takes them down a peg or two. He accuses them of hypocrisy and the entire crowd rejoice. And then in this moment, according to Luke, Jesus tells these two parables. Notice the words, he said, therefore, they are a response to this healing. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? Well, I think the first thing Jesus is challenging in the religious people is the idea that the work of God is restricted to the pure and elevated spaces of the temple. Instead, Jesus says, the kingdom is like something you'd find in a normal kitchen or a normal garden. We're invited to see the signs of the kingdom everywhere and in our own lives, in a small bit of manky yeasty dough about to do its work in the kitchen, in that scrubby old mustard plant taking over your back garden. The lowly and the profane things tell us something of God too. The kingdom is bigger Mr. Religious Leader than you think it is. What's more, the kingdom is buzzing with life. It's not a dusty old building. Yeast is not an inert powder like incense or saffron that you keep in a special tin and you only use a little bit of. It's literally in the air all around us. It's on our bodies and in the soil, just waiting for an opportunity to grow and to multiply, to buzz with microbes and fungi and potential. Similarly, mustard seeds are everywhere and worthless, carried, to place, carried from place to place on the soles of people's feet until they get a chance to take root, popping up and growing like crazy. The next thing is that the kingdom brings life to others. In the parable of the yeast, the amount of flour is the same amount as that prepared by Sarah and Abraham when they sit down to eat with angels. And it's a huge amount, 30 kilos, enough to feed 100, 150 people. What has been seen as grubby, unclean and unworthy through the hidden work of a woman becomes enough to feed a multitude, offering generosity and abundance and hospitality. That's the kingdom. 
And in the parable of the mustard seed, the plant becomes a habitat to the birds of the air, a place of safety, nourishment and refuge, like that cedar of, of Lebanon in Ezekiel. Can I have my next picture? There we go. So there it is, a, a place of refuge in a barren desert. Because the difference from that cedar of Lebanon, which only grows super slowly and under certain very fertile and specific conditions, the mustard seed will pop up anywhere and everywhere. And crucially, even in the dry and the arid places, the lifeless places, the desert places, where it's able to create and sustain an ecosystem, a place of life and belonging. Cedar trees are not how the desert will bloom. Mustard plants are. And it's also an amazing vision, I think, of how church could be. Not like a posh tree to be admired from afar, or a grand and posh temple where only a particular kind of person is allowed to exist and only then on their best behaviour. Rather, imagine if church could be more like a mustard thicket, teeming with life and love. A place where anyone can find a home, even and especially in the lowly, forgotten spaces and the broken spaces. It's not like a place where ostentatious offerings are made to God by the great and the good, but a place where a beautifully risen loaf of bread is placed on the table as a gift to those around us, saying, whoever you are, whatever you are going through, come and eat with us. Tell us your story. Tell us how God is at work in your lives and your families and your relationships. It's a vision of church as a group of people who don't just look inwards to see what God is doing, but look outwards to spot where the kingdom is growing out there in the broken spaces and seek to get involved and bless it. Rowan Williams says the job of the church is to see where the kingdom is at work and growing and to get on board with it. But best of all, for all of us, it tells us that when we encounter Jesus, we can expect the kingdom to take root in the soil of our own damaged and broken lives and produce fruit. So the kingdom of God is on the move everywhere, invasive, persistent, teeming with life and hope. May it grow in your broken ground and my broken ground, in this place and in this community. Jesus is encouraging us to watch for it, to encourage it, and to get involved. Amen. I'm going to use a prayer from Christian Aid today. And it's uh, been published in a book that was published last year to commemorate 75 years of the existence of the organization. Nobody wanted it to continue for so long. But the prayer has been written by Roy Jenkins, whom some of us will know. He has preached here, he's a Baptist minister in Wales, but those of you who listened to Thought for the Day on Radio 4 may have heard him quite frequently there. So this is a prayer which is in sections, and between each section, I'm just going to pause a few seconds so that you have chance to add your personal thoughts in your mind, uh, if you wish to, to that section of prayer.
So let us pray. Lord of love, we remember all who feel forgotten in their suffering. Parents who watch their children going hungry long after media interest in their poverty, famine or flood has disappeared. Communities still living in terror as bombs fall around them. Desperate seekers of refuge, abandoned to the mercy of those who trade people for profit. Lord of freedom, we remember all prisoners and especially political and religious dissenters, individuals held as pawns in maneuverings between governments, the falsely accused and disgraced, all who have been tortured and fear they will be destroyed if the torment continues. Empower those who pursue their freedom and help them rebuild their broken lives. Lord of hope, we remember those who can no longer remember for themselves. People whom illness, abuse or neglect have left in a mental wilderness where all that was once familiar now bewilders and long-cherished loved ones are strangers. Sustain their carers in patience and devotion and all who fight for their well-being. Lord of truth, we remember those who bear witness to injustice, journalists, broadcasters, and campaigners, priests, pastors, and poets, and all who risk their lives to reveal what the powerful would keep hidden. Grant them wisdom and courage as they seek to speak uncomfortable truths and where their work is subverted by cruelty, indifference or corruption, may those who have grown weary of the struggle find their vision refreshed and their strength renewed. Lord of new beginnings, we remember those who see no need to change, who profit from others' distress, collude in oppression, ignore the pain and dismiss the rage of protest. Open their eyes and their hearts. May they recognize their need of liberation and find courage to pursue it. And in your mercy, grant us with them 
forgiveness for our share in the injustices at which we have yet to rage. Lord Jesus Christ, Lord of love, Lord of freedom, Lord of hope, Lord of truth and Lord of new beginnings, hear our prayer. Amen.